Jen. And this is Christine. And, and we, we are She Nanigans. Thanks for stopping by. Today's podcast pairing is with Whispering Angel Rose. Cheers! We are so excited to have our dear friend Jessica Leap on today. She has had an incredible, motivating, inspiring, kick-ass story. I was fortunate enough to meet Jess right after Devin died. Um, we were at our favorite hair salon, Parlor. Shout out to Parlor. We happened to both have like changed appointments and ended up sitting in seats next to each other. So Rachel Rubin, who is the owner of Parlor, came over and started talking to both of us. And she said, I can't believe the two of you are sitting next to each other. You need to meet. So we talked for the next couple of hours, talked about our story. Jess, who I had never met before, did lots of things for Devin's fight and made t-shirts a week after he died and gave them out to people. She designed them. She made them. She paid for them and gave them out for free to anyone who wanted to pick them up where she delivered them. And as we were talking, we were talking about our kids being in school and missing school. And she just very casually said how they have a medical condition at their house. Never let on to anything else. Never told me another word about it. And I came home later that day and met our other friend, Jessica Cochran, and told her that I met this incredible woman she told me what their medical condition at their home was. I was floored. So Jess is here now um, to share her story with us. She is one of our favorite people. She is a superhuman. We on love the her. planet, yes. Beautiful inside and out. Thank you for being here, Jess. Oh, I love you Thank guys you. so much. Thank love you, you too. for having me. Yeah, Jess Cochran totally outed me on that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> she's Thanks, like Jess. that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That day is forever etched in my brain and my heart because I would be lost without you, my friend. We've had lots of shenanigans, all of us, together since then. Yes, Bahamas and good times uh -huh. and cocktails. Yes. Will you share your story with us? Sure. She's going to say no. <laughs> nope. Nope. Fine. Nope. <laughs> I'm, I'm just here for the drink. <laughs> um, yeah. So on my 37th birthday, I got my first mammogram. And with that very first mammogram came a terminal cancer diagnosis. Wow. And on top of that came a 15% chance to live three years. So that was, that was fun. That was awesome. Do you want to tell a little bit more about that day? Are you okay sharing that? Yeah, absolutely. Like you just went in for a I know. I just, I just went in for a regular pap smear with my gynecologist. It was like 9 o'clock in the morning. During the summer, I said, I think I feel a little lump here. And she said, okay, I'll take a look at it. So she looked at it, left the room to make a phone call that I found out later, came back and said, where are your children? And I said, oh, they're fine. They're with their aunt. She said, okay, you need to go into Boston to Beth Israel right now and have some tests done. She's like, I just called your primary care doctor. It's already set up. You need to go now. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll go. So that day I went in and I had a mammogram. They moved me out of that room for a couple hours, and then they said, okay, you need to go in and have an ultrasound. Went, had an ultrasound, moved me out of that room, said, okay, sit here. And then they put me into the operating room for a biopsy. And at this point, it's like 5 o'clock after all this stuff is going yeah, on. Yeah, it's like a whole, the, the whole, whole day. day. All in one day, I had this, all of this stuff. And on your birthday. Yes. And my husband was in Vegas at a basketball tournament. So that was, that was awesome. <laughs> 
the interventional radiologist who was doing the procedure, doing the biopsy, she couldn't tell me what was wrong with me because you need to wait for pathology. But I looked at her, I said, um, do you think that this is cancer? And she did say, she's like, yes. She's like, I think it's cancer. I obviously don't know what stage, what grade, but I do think it's cancer. But you're going to be okay. So I was like, all right, cool. So they gave me a little paper bag of ice and sent me on my way. I called my dad at that point, you know, said, I think I have cancer. He met me, met me at my house after with my children. And I kind of just sat in it for a little while until we got the results back. We got the results back and it was a grade 2B cancer because I hadn't had any other scans. It was just the, the tumor and the lymph nodes that were, were biopsied. So I went in, had a first dose of chemotherapy. That night I got chest pain. Called my doctor, 9 o'clock at night. They sent me into the emergency room into Boston. That was the first time I had scans done. Now it's like midnight. I'm in the emergency room at Beth Israel. The ER doctor comes over to me and tells me that I have cancer all through my body. Oh, wow. Because I had just had these scans. Long story short, I had stage 4 cancer from the beginning. I have something called de novo metastatic breast cancer, which means that it was stage four from the gate. And in my case, it had spread through my body. It became systemic, was in my blood, was in my organs, was in my bones before I got a lump. So for my type of breast cancer, there there's no early detection. So there's nothing you could have done. There's nothing. Obviously, you had a mammogram at 37, which is before you would typically have one. Correct. Yeah, so there was nothing that I could have done. There was no feeling on the first for me. Um, right. And I had no family history of this, so I wasn't high risk for it. I wasn't being tested for anything. Obviously, at that point, at my diagnosis, I was tested for 29 cancer genes. I was tested for every cancer gene available that they could test for, and they all came back negative. You know, I have daughters, I have sisters, so I was really, really concerned if I had the gene. Um, How old were your daughters when you were diagnosed? Three and four. And at that point, you and Scott were dating, right? Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that. It was great. Perfect life. It was awesome. New relationship. It was great. Scott came into your life and was this big personality, incredible guy who took in your girls, right? Yes. Like, yeah. You were diagnosed on your 37th birthday. Do you want to tell us how you got married? I just think it's it's cute. It's a cute story. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really that much to tell. I mean, we have a friend who's a jeweler and he had called I he had <laughs> this is like it's not even a story. It is a story. It's, not, it's no, a cute he, story. He like he came home one night and threw a couple rings in their boxes, like didn't even open the boxes and just threw them on <laughs> the ottoman of a chair. Which is so Scott. And said, um, all right, I'm going to call my friend who's a pastor and we're going to go tomorrow and get married. So he went to Macy's and got me a dress and got me a pair of shoes. The next day, we dropped the kids off at daycare, went to the church with a couple friends and just got married. And then... We went separate ways. We got in separate cars, and he drove to New York for a meeting, and then I got in my car, and it was pickup time. So I drove and picked up my kids at school in a wedding dress. Um, and at that point, I was bald because I had already started um, some heavy chemotherapy. So I was completely bald, and I had a really fancy wig on. So I pulled up to the pickup line, and my daughter's looking at me like, what the fuck, mom? <laughs> like, you have a wig. You like, what? 
So she gets in the car and I'm like, yeah, so I just got married. Yeah, it was, I mean. You, you know him but, though. You know him. Don't worry. Yeah. 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 Well, and I love too that he went and bought, like got you a dress and shoes, which to know you is a big feat for yeah. him to go, yes. <laughs> to yes. go get that for you. Yeah. So when he yeah. came back home with the dress, were you like, hmm? Or were you like, yeah. No, I actually liked it. Yeah. I love it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. That's great. And he got so me he knows you. Blue Get shoes. You. Blue? Oh. Blue shoes with a white dress. I like that. Something blue. Something blue. I do, yeah. He's, yeah. He's a good, he's a good dude. Yeah. So then do you want to tell us about the rest of your journey with this? First of all, it's, you just celebrated what birthday? Eight years with this. You know, and when you're given pretty much an expiration date, at a young age, and you're told there's a 15% chance that you're going to live three years and your youngest child is three years old, means you're not going to see your kids get out of elementary school. So that right there kind of, you know, made me put my big girl pants on and I'm like, yeah, no, this this isn't going to happen. Like, I... And I yeah, I'm, I'm going to see my kids. You need to be here. You I, need, I, to, be I need here. to be here. Um I obviously did so much research and, you know, because back then there was really no literature, no education, no support groups. There was nothing around. And even being in Boston, like in the epicenter of cancer research, nothing for this. People still think that if they go around and buy pink ribbons, that they're supporting breast cancer. But no, I mean... It's That's breast cancer awareness, which we're all aware pretty of. Pretty much, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty sure that everybody is aware of breast cancer. They either know somebody with breast cancer or somebody in their family has. I, that's yeah. And everybody you're not is dying aware. from breast cancer; you're dying from metastasis. Too, and like I know you were a nurse, too. So you must have had that medical mind about it as well. Well, so there was no education about people think breast cancer is just breast cancer. Like you, you. You have breast cancer and you might die from it. You might not die from it. But the truth is, is there's different kinds of breast cancer. There's different subtypes. There's can there's breast cancers that you can die from. And there's breast cancers that there's a 99.9% cure rate for. Yeah. I happen to have a type of breast cancer that is metastatic. So right there at stage four, there's no stage five. Stage four is... Stage four. That, right. That's that's it. You can. There's different subtypes of breast cancer. You can. There's three different subtypes, and you can be negative or positive for any combination of those three. They're treated differently. You know, some chemotherapies make your hair fall out. Some don't. Some treatments are oral. Some are IV. It's not just one diagnosis right. and one treatment. Right. There are many layers. Yes. So I happen to be triple positive which is the most aggressive kind of breast cancer. It's not the most common. It's, it's the most aggressive. Now, because I was a de novo diagnosis, meaning I was stage four from the beginning, I had not been pretreated. My immune system was strong. You know, I mean, it wasn't, obviously I have cancer, so my immune system wasn't 100%, but my immune system wasn't compromised or broken down at that point. So when I started receiving chemotherapy, I responded very well because I had a strong immune system where somebody who was diagnosed with an earlier stage of cancer and then went on to metastasize, 
they wouldn't have such a good response as I had because their immune system was already compromised. That makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, my doctors attribute my length of disease or my length of non-progression to the fact that I was not heavily pre-treated. Well, and you also do a lot of things on your own too, like your diet. You definitely have taken control. And like one of the things when you go to get, when you meet with your oncologist and you're anticipating maybe not great news, like you say you have to go by yourself because you need, it's the only thing you can control, right? Yeah. And I think you've taken such great control of your body instead of letting the cancer control you. As far as my diet and things like that, it's, I don't think that going plant-based, things like that, or juicing, all this stuff, I don't think that that's going to cure my cancer or really prolong my life. I don't. I don't believe that. The reason why I do that is because all these chemotherapies, all these medications make me feel like fucking shit. Like, I feel terrible. By changing my diet, I don't have any side effects, really. I don't have any debilitating side effects. I can manage my treatments. I had to learn how to make myself more independent because I was so dependent on people driving me into treatment because I was so sick and I couldn't drive myself home. And then I had to stay in bed for two days because I just felt awful. So I don't like to ask for help at all. Like it's, I just don't. It's no. just not me. I, I, you don't. I almost refuse to ask for help at some point. We know you. Yeah. Yep. So... <laughs> So I had to figure out how I was going to be self-sufficient and independent. And that's why I went ahead and, you know, completely overhauled my diet. And I didn't eat terrible, but I had to figure out what made me feel bad. And then I eliminated all that stuff. And that's pretty yeah. much it. Well, and I think it's important the the small things you can control in your life, you do, right? Absolutely. You, when, you, when there's a trip or there's something that a good time – you have a good time. You have a good time. You're in. <laughs> and that's part of it. I mean, the diet, the lifestyle, that's why, I mean, you're so resilient because you've chosen to be. Well, yeah, I think that's, you've chosen to be. And like showing up for your kids. We're all moms. I don't know anyone who does the amount of things that you do. You show up for your kids every second of every day, even when you feel a hundred times worse than we do on our best day. You and you always say, like, it doesn't control you, right? Your cancer, your diagnosis does not control you. You show up in the best ways possible for, all the time for everyone. You do. And the other thing, Jess, I know you and I have talked about this too, is the stigma or whatever. Like, we're looking at you, our podcast people will see pictures of you. You are stunningly gorgeous and you don't look sick. Julia Roberts. Yeah. So you, I think that's hard sometimes. You feel terrible, but you look, you don't look sick, right? But your body is like feeling like crap. So I think that's hard sometimes when people are like, oh, but she looks great. She looks great. Yeah. So that goes back to you can't judge a disability by its visibility. Right. Basically. Very Um, important. I did not make that up. I heard that somewhere. That's not my thing. That stays in my head all the time because- Believe it or not, I've actually been accused of not having cancer because of based solely based on how I look. Oh wow! I've gotten messages. I've only gotten two. It's only happened twice. Because everybody likes to fake that, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It has happened twice where where people have messaged me and um, tried to call me out for faking Ugh. a terminal cancer diagnosis. Oh wow! Yeah, 
Well, that's on them. Yeah. Karma. Yeah. (laughs) You have done a lot of advocating and a lot of speaking across the country and a lot of fundraising for the Ellie Fund. Shout out to the Ellie Fund. We love the Ellie Fund. Yeah. And you have um, a great event coming up. And you get to be a model on a runway. Yes. We can't wait. Can't wait for that. Mm -hmm. I'm excited for that event. That's with Runway for Recovery. I just learned about them. You guys nominated me for this event. So thank you. They're lovely people. It's a lovely organization. And I just learned that Aside from the Ellie Fund, I will always support the Ellie Fund. I love them. I love everybody there, and I love what they do because they put 100% of donations into the hands of active cancer patients who are in active treatment, and they need money for groceries or gas money to get into treatment or childcare or even just like self-care, like massages or acupuncture or anything that's going to make them feel better. That's what they use their money for. And I just learned that Runway for Recovery uses their money to give to families after the um, person with breast cancer in their lives has passed away. So it's usually the mother, but males do get breast cancer. I'm a hot fucking mess. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You're not. You're incredible. All right. So as you mentioned, I just celebrated eight years living with terminal cancer. Thank God. Never, ever thought that I would be here. Both of my children are now in middle school when I never thought that I was going to see them get out of elementary school. So this is huge. I'm not the mom who wants my kids to stay little. I don't wish they would stay young forever. That's not cute to me. I want my kids to grow up. Mm -hmm. I want to see who they are because they're fucking awesome. Mm -hmm. And that's where I am. Like every birthday is amazing. I celebrate everything. Go big. Like it's the last. Yes, absolutely. Like I'm not, oh yeah, like stop time. Time is flying. Nope. Nope. Bring it on. 100%. Bring on the fucking years, right? Because I will tell you in these eight years, I've lived like 15 lifetimes Mm -hmm. where the previous 37, I struggled a lot. I had a hard time. I, um, I didn't grow up with a lot of support, especially a lot of emotional support. I was kind of on my own which left me feeling abandoned. I had no idea who I was. It really didn't. Like, I just, I was so lost. I, I was uncomfortable with myself. I um, wanted to be something other than who I was. It took me a lot of therapy, a lot of years to actually <laughs> deal with all of that stuff and realize that I am a good person. Bad things happen to good people. All the time. These last eight years... I love who I am. I love myself. I'm comfortable with myself. And I didn't have that for a lot of years. Yes, I've lived a lot of lifetimes making up for everything that I missed out on. So for a while, I was surviving. I don't want to just survive. I want to live. So I've really been living. And thriving. Yeah. And, And thriving. Yeah. Obviously, with a terminal illness diagnosis comes grief. I mean, you have to grieve that life that you thought you had because it's now gone and you don't know what your future is going to be. So, you know, the five stages of grief, what do we got here? Denial, anger, depression, bargaining, Bargaining, and acceptance. acceptance. I don't know that I've done any of those. I have. So I will tell you that I didn't actually sit down and, um, recognize when I went through those or how I dealt with them. 
But up until a year ago, I actually realized that I have completely grieved my diagnosis because up until a year ago, I couldn't tell my story and finish it from beginning to end. I broke down in tears. All the public speaking things that I would do for charity events, I was a, I was in, I was a puddle. I could not stop crying. I couldn't tell my story to people because I was still grieving it. I didn't know how to tell my story. I know now that I have now accepted fully my diagnosis and I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid to leave my children and my friends and the people that I love, but I'm not afraid to die anymore at all. Because you're not going to. We're going to grow old together. (laughs) Yes, we are. But I can tell my story now. I can tell my story to people. I have realized that I have... I've gone through all the stages of grief. I've grieved that life. And now I'm living my, I don't want to say new life. Well, you almost had a rebirth. Yeah. You know, when this all happened. But now I'm living my true life. And and yeah, I mean. Your authentic self. We just had this conversation with. Yes. So now I am. This is me. Um, this is not me trying to be something that I wished I was. This This is me. So now moving forward, and I hate to use this term, because sometimes it's taken very loosely, but I'm trying to live like I have a chronic illness where I, I have a terminal illness where chronic would be used for, you know, somebody with diabetes, with diabetes or, yeah. or heart disease where that it's managed mm-hmm. their whole lives. And, but that's how I'm looking at mine because I'm on chemotherapies and cancer drugs for the rest of my life. When I stop my treatments, I die. My treatments are keeping me alive. So you're living as you're living, not as you're dying. Right. Yeah. Exactly. 100%, right? That's the best way to you're living. I need, yeah. I mean, yeah. I need these drugs to keep me alive. Eventually, my cancer is going to grow. It's going to mutate. It's going to outsmart the drugs I'm on. And then I do have a couple more drugs in the pipeline. So then I just move on to the next yeah. one. And, and hopefully, more and more will just, you know, That's, end up in the pipeline. And, and, and more will evolve medically, hopefully. Living with this, I've um, kind of have some some things that that I kind of keep in the back of my head to remind myself, like some mantras. Kind of, yeah. Like I had to let go of the blame. I blamed myself for a lot of things. Maybe I partied too much. Maybe I, I did this. Maybe I did that. Like I, I blamed myself for cancer. Like I maybe I maybe I fucked over too many people. I pissed too many people off, and I just have bad karma. Like coming out of everywhere. Like, this is my fault. I deserve this. I hurt people. So that, I I struggled with that for a while. Um, I had to let that go. Before this diagnosis, and we won't get into it, but had to overcome so much also. So listening to you talk about finding yourself, you are finding yourself with so many things happening. So it wasn't even just all on you and the things that you were doing or not doing. It was from when you were little. Right. Not having a built-in support system is a huge void. Right. And into your adult life before you met Scott, right? I mean, you definitely had a lot to overcome. And I think, you know, with this diagnosis, you also found your soulmate, (laughs) crazy soulmate, and your kids were finally in a stable family life with Scott, right? And so it was kind of all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm focusing on, you know, living with a, with a chronic illness. I try to use my pain for good. Oh, 
you're the most heartfelt, giving, thoughtful human on the planet. And you do make, yeah, make such an impact. I mean, just the gala at the Ellie Fund where you were honored. Can you just share that, what you did? Jess is still fighting, fighting, obviously. And she's got all these treatments and she's got all these things. And you created t-shirts for the Ellie Fund. So, yes, I'm which my daughter wears all the time of, of paper cranes. I love them. I love what they stand for. My daughter makes them all the time and I have them tattooed on my body. I I love paper cranes. I have a necklace that I wear. I had one of my good friends who was my daughter's art teacher. His name is Mark Penta. Shout out to Mark. He's amazing, a local Framingham artist. Amazing. Awesome. He graciously and generously donated his time and drew the perfect paper crane and he did the artwork for the t-shirt. And then you helped me get a printer. Mm-hmm. Frank. Oh, that was easy. He was amazing. Printed all these all out you. for me. And then, yeah, we sold them and donated 100% of the proceeds to the Ellie Fund. So you created these shirts on your own. You have so much going on, You have so, but you're so heartfelt that you created these t-shirts and sold them and gave all the profits to help other women fighting. Right. The same thing you're fighting, which is just, you're just so selfless. And giving. All the time. While going to chemo every 21 days, correct? Yes. Right now it's every 21 days. Right. So then we all got to go to the gala and Jess was honored and we all got to wear ball gowns and dress up and honor our friend, which was incredible. Jess and I also figured out so I don't believe in coincidence or anything. And we met that day in the chair. And then like, I don't know, like a year or two later, we were talking about actually a restaurant you went to in a gunkwit, Earth or Home or... Earth. Oh, Kenny Bunkport, Earth. Kenny Bunkport, Earth. And I was telling Jess about it. And you said your sister was the head chef there. And, I, and she went to Johnson Wales. And then I said I went to Johnson Wales. And then it ends up Jess and I were at Johnson Wales at the same time. Wow. And she ended up moving to New York City with one of my sorority sisters. And we're just like... That means I was at Johnson & Wales with you too. Yeah. Well, and then I had met Dana. Oh, yeah. Here. Yeah. But Dana was in the dorm next to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So she had, a- she had the weed. I went into her room. <laughs> that's, that's why I remember Shout out to her. Dana. <laughs> Dana Montebano. <laughs> Sorry. Shimena. We're supposed to not use names, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. We'll call her Roy. <laughs> right. That's her name. So going through all this, Jess, all the things that you're going through, that you've gone through, that you're currently going through, what are you, and this might be a hard question, it's my favorite. but what are you absolutely certain of in life? Oh, that's easy. Oh, I <laughs> that know. is. I am. I'm absolutely certain that I am a fantastic mother. Oh, oh yeah. you are. I love I hearing do. you say I that do. out loud. And you, human. Yeah. But literally the best mother on the yeah. planet. Like I, sometimes I'm like tired and whatever. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> Jess has just gone to 15 gymnastics rehearsals, gone and taken her kids, done art projects, made a million different cake wars. And yeah, it's, cake wars. they do. Yeah, they do. They, they do all sorts of things. What would be something that people might misunderstand about you or your journey? Yeah. People, people misunderstand the, um, or what, like I said before, don't judge a disability by its visibility because I might look like this. You don't see that I have no function of my hands or both my lungs are collapsed or my tailbone is broken or my jaw is exposed in my mouth. Like I've got all this shit. And I wake up in pain every single 
day. When people hear that I have breast cancer, one of the first things that people will say to me, well, so you've finished treatment? You look like you're not on treatment anymore. Or when do you, when do you finish treatment? You know, when, when do you stop chemotherapy? Never, ever, ever. I will never stop. I'm going to be on it for the rest of my life. That's hard for people to understand. How can somebody be on chemotherapy for the rest of your life? And how can you be on chemotherapy if you have hair? Right. I think that's a big misconception. Yeah. 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 My next question, Jess, is what is your favorite when you're feeling just, I know you eat really well and you try to take <laughs> care of yourself, but sometimes we all have sad girls. I love all the beets. You love all the beets, but your sad girl dinner would be what? Oh my God. <laughs> all the queso and chips and donuts. <laughs> all of them. All of them. <laughs> awesome. Regular donuts or gluten-free? No, gluten-free is gross. <laughs> <laughs> Which just shows up and brings me gluten-free just treats, snacks, cakes, yes. whoopie pies. But I don't eat them. All the time. We talked about this a little bit, but what advice would you give your 18-year-old self now? Don't be afraid to ask for help. If I knew how to ask for help back then, a lot of things would have changed for me. Mm-hmm. That's a good one. A lot of people have a hard time asking for help. Which is one thing that I make sure my kids are not afraid to do. Always ask for help. I like that. That's Me great. Too. It's, a, it's a tough lesson to learn, I think. And But so true. I already know the answer to this, but I just want to ask it. What is your favorite swear word and why? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Fuck. It just slips off the tongue. It's so easy. It's right? so easy. It's so satisfying. It yeah. is satisfying. <laughs> it's it's amazing. amazing. It's all of our favorite It's a word. noun, a verb, and an adjective. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Makes me all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> Wait, I think we should tell everyone too. Who's your favorite celebrity? You have to think? <laughs> you mean like... Whoop-de-whoop. Oh. Yeah, I know, I know. Come on. Like, no, obviously I mean, he's obviously Scott, listening. I, of, I know, but I don't think of him as a celebrity because he's like he's like my boy, my friend. So <laughs> Can like you celebrity, say it? I think like Julia Roberts, like, but like Snoop is like he's real. He's like he's he's not a celebrity. He's, Snoop's your boy. He's my boy. <laughs> We've decorated our house with Snoop. Oh my god. So Snoop, if you're listening, yeah, Snoop. <laughs> I know. DM us. I know. Snoop. Yep. <laughs> we we went to the Bahamas and Jess wore a Snoop Dogg shirt and she bedazzled. A divorced AF shirt for me, and we caused a lot of trouble. Yeah. It was trouble. It was shenanigans for sure. Yeah. They were on point. Yeah. Hey, I think you should ask her our two very, like, most important controversial questions. We already know the answer. I know she's one of our people, so I feel like I'm pretty confident she's going to answer this one correctly. Both of them. I think you know. This ought to be good. Jess. (laughs) Yes. Toilet paper. Over. Or under. Oh, I don't give a shit about toilet paper. I really don't. Like, I ain't got time for that. I don't care. As long as it's not sitting on top of an empty roll, I don't give a shit. I don't. No, because you walk into my house and there are empty toilet paper rolls on the windowsill and okay. on the back of the toilet. Just put it on the fucking roll. Hey, Great for crafts. The, yeah, but, yeah, that's true. Ew, and, no, and, no, you don't say that. People touch that with their shitty in, it, hands. The roll? The yeah. inside roll? Yeah, people change that while they're sitting on the toilet. Their hands aren't clean. <laughs> no, I mean in your don't house. Don't save those. In your house. No. Yeah. <laughs> same. Yeah, same. same. No, you know what? It's no. better than finding a toilet with number two and no toilet paper in there. <laughs> that happens in my house. That's awesome. Do you find the roll that was used as TP in the trash? 
Did people use Ew. the empty Because <laughs> no, I know. found that before. Nope. There's just no toilet paper to wipe. They no. choose, There's plenty of it there. They just choose not to. And then our favorite main question. Do you oh. consider a hot dog a sandwich? Wait, I think Wait, this is a main question because I think I've just read hot dogs. Sorry. Do you consider a hot dog a sandwich? A hot dog a sandwich. A hot dog is a <laughs> long, wiggly piece of meat. It is not a sandwich because... Okay. A long, wiggly piece of meat. Well, it is because Sounds you're not hot. saying... Well, I mean, <laughs> when you order a hot dog... You just thought, I don't, I don't know. When you order a sandwich, they ask you what kind of bread you want. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Toasted, not toasted. You're, you're a, sand, a hot So your answer your, is what? <laughs> it is not a sandwich. Thank you. Yes. It that's the correct answer. answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, my gosh. My last question, our last question is, what is the most hilarious or embarrassing mm. circumstance you have know. ever... I honestly don't know. Come on. No, I really don't. I... I we might be here for a while thinking about because I don't we, I don't know I we, think we could talk about what our friend did in the parking lot of Bourbons, <laughs> but that wasn't me. You took care of her. We don't really have to. No, talk about I videotaped that. her and, and laughed at her. <laughs> I did. I did. Just the video. Yeah, I don't. I don't think she would appreciate no, that, that no, story. No, Cochran would not. She that. already suggested it would hinder her ability to be president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to distinguish myself from cancer. I don't let cancer make decisions for me. I need to keep that separate. But you do such a good job of that. Like really good job. Yeah. And that goes back to you living and thriving and living each moment to the fullest. And you certainly, when sometimes you maybe should let moments like after you have chemo, you're up and running all the time. Like, even if you feel at your worst, you are still showing up every moment for the people that you love, specifically your daughters. But I also have to honor my limitations. Right. So if I'm feeling like I can't do something, I have to say no. But I don't know that you... Do you do that for your daughters? No, no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But you, do, no. you have to do that for other... I do yes, that for other course. people. And I miss out on a lot. And I feel bad saying no to people... But it's self-care. Right. And everyone just who loves you would rather you actually take those moments for yourself than selfish, like selfishly, we want to be with you always and have every minute. But if you're not taking care of you, you can't, you have to. And we, everyone who loves you and cares about you knows that. But most importantly, going through this is to find your tribe. Totally. And it might not be the people you think it's going to be. And it might change. But when you know, you know. I'm the person who, you know, I think there was a meme going around at some point that said, I'm the person that you can call at 4 a.m. and I'll be there, you know, with a pizza and a bottle of vodka. Because um, you're but awake. I'm, but I'm right. <laughs> right, right. But I'm also the person who won't text you back for eight days. Yeah. Right. I mean, we get that. Yeah. And everyone's good with that. But you are the person also with everything you have going on. If someone calls you and says, I need you, you are... You show up. Always. And you're just... Given everything you go through on the daily, you are the most giving, kind, loving, badass, fun person on the planet. Like, there's there's no one... We'd rather, like, have shenanigans with you. I mean, it's... Yeah. Listen, I made it through this whole podcast without crying. You can't... Me too. You can't make me cry now. No, you're pure AF. I'm going to just shower you with yeah. we're gonna, we're gonna, 
Yeah. I am who I am now because of the people that have come into my life in these past eight years and have helped me be my authentic self. Definitely. And that brings me to when I'm dead and gone, I want stories told. I don't want you to just tell the good stories. I don't want you, I don't want my kids to hear, oh my God, your mother was amazing. She was so good. She did so much for so many people. I don't want them to hear that all the time. I want my kids to hear that I wasn't perfect, yeah. um, that I wasn't, you know, always doing good. Well, I think we can do that by sharing stories, but you're yeah. going to grow old with us. So we're not even having this conversation. Like, you know, because if one of my kids is, is like struggling with with saying to herself, why am I such an asshole? I want her <laughs> to know. That's hereditary. Well, because, you know, your mother, your mother was, your mother was kind of a bitch. Um, <laughs> we'll say yeah. she got, no, yeah. they get it from Scott. She's sassy. Yeah. And Bougie. Another thing I feel really strongly about for me, and this is just my personal feeling is I don't want people to say that I lost a battle. And that, that, that will bring me to tears just yeah. talking about that because- I don't like the the war terminology when yeah. it comes mm-hmm. to cancer. This is not a war or a battle for me. This is my life. It's not a life I chose, obviously, but it's a life that is mine. And I don't like that war talk. I don't want part of my legacy to be that I lost a battle that I didn't have a chance of winning. Yeah. What would you prefer people say? Really, it's like I was murdered by cancer. You know, cancer took me away. It didn't beat me or I didn't lose to it. Right. You've kicked its ass. Yeah. I don't know what I would want people to say. That's a really good question. I guess I never thought I'm going to start crying now because of it. (laughs) I love you. That's just one thing I feel really strong about. No, I get that. I I totally get that. I don't want like an obituary written saying she died after a – like. After losing a battle with cancer. Right. Yeah. You've said this since I've known right. you. I mean, that's, and, and that makes perfect sense. I right. wouldn't want that either. I mean, that's just, it doesn't make any sense. You're living. Right. Well, and I think some people, I've said it with my own child, right? Because, but then when you think about it, you're like, that doesn't make sense. But that is like the go-to thing that people say when it's someone's a fighting a cancer or an illness or, you know, whatever they term it to lose to. Which it's not that, and you're, you're not right. Losing. I think it's right. You're not losing. You're not yeah. losing. Yeah. And that that really that gets to me. Yeah, that will always make me emotional. And that's resonated with me ever since I've known you because you've you've said that. And so in my own thoughts, I hear that. So it's makes a lot of sense. It's definitely a very important thing. And we don't have to think about what we want to say instead. Because no, and right now you're winning, and I'm, we're so happy that you are here with us. I love being here. You with make you. the world a better place, yeah. Jess. You do. Thank you. Well, you guys, day. you guys are are part of who I am today, and I'm so grateful for you. Love you. Love you too. Love Thank you for being. Thank here you for with being us. here with us. We could talk to you on this for hours. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Cheers. Love you. Cheers.